Welcome back to another episode of The Discourse. Uh, you'll have to forgive me if today I sound a little bit under the weather. I'm not sick. I've just been, you know, abusing Benadryl by accident. My allergies are actually acting. I'm not, I'm not going to get too deep into it. <laughs> I'm being joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, uh, John and Richard. Say hello, fellas. What's going on? I am here. Yes, yes, you're both here. And it's an exciting time to be here. We, you know, we're recording post-Thanksgiving, post, uh, I don't know what people who don't like calling it Thanksgiving call it. Indigenous Genocide Day. I hope everyone had a lovely that. We got to talk about the coup. Yeah, coup watch 2020, actually. Insert sound effect of a siren going off like a fucking DJ Clue mixtape right there. So coup 2020 update. I think it's over technically. John, you're our coup correspondent, you know. Yeah, it looks like the GSA is authorizing the transition, so the talk is it's over. However, they've seized some voting machines in, I believe, Pennsylvania that were used by Dominion. Um, and they what they're going to do with those, I don't know. I'm really excited for that part because, as you guys have heard me talk about in the past, I really want to see the source code for a lot of these voting machines, whether ESNS or Dominion. So that could be interesting, but it's not going to change the outcome. Yeah, it does seem to be uh, petering out. There's also been reports about Trump basically being favorable to being convinced to run in 2024. And there was a poll out, uh, I don't know how long ago now, maybe a week ago, uh, that was that showed that he was the favorite for the Republican nomination in 2024 with uh, 50%. And I think Donald Jr. was uh, either in second or third pl place uh, with about 12 to 15% somewhere in there. So... With that on the horizon or that potential there, that it is a good bait to to get him out peacefully, give him a, a forecast for a future that he can see himself in, and it leaves opportunity open. How how cogent his mind will be at that point, who knows? Uh, I guess one of the other things uh, that has stuck out, I suppose, is there's been a division among some of his supporters about whether he should go for a 2024 bid or just not relinquish this and uh that fissure has been enough to i think prevent any sort of coagulation that would manifest in any sort of you know violent physical action in any sort of major event yeah i gotta say i'm really shocked that the cops haven't said more about it considering he's their candidate they've uh, been crying a lot it's been a very emotional time for them with all we know with the trump losing in the black lives matter protest but i mean i'm surprised they haven't done more like i'm surprised they're not surveilling dominion and like taking pictures and doing stuff like that I, i'm really surprised that like the pbas across the country are not doing more to signal that they would support some sort of violent insurrection and I, that's actually something I'm genuinely shocked at. I, I legit thought we would see like the New York Policemen's Sergeants Association start tweeting out about how he's their president and they'll take to the streets and claim it for Donald Trump. Technically, it's still ongoing, right? Like if you are the kind of person who follows Trump on Twitter, which I'm not because, you know, usually all his best material filters its way to me through the grapevine. You could be forgiven for thinking that Trump's heart is in the coup. And from my perspective, you know, the GSA news came out, I want to say, what, sometime the week before Thanksgiving or early in the Thanksgiving week. Uh, he put out a cursory tweet about how they're going to keep fighting, blah, blah, blah. But I hate to sound conspiratorial. From my estimation, Trump hasn't been tweeting or like using his platform that is Twitter as a, even like a sort of bully pulpit to effectively kind of whip 
the crowd into a frenzy, right? I mean, I think ultimately, yeah, he's a sore loser. Like, if you catch him on the, on the topic, he's like, yeah, fuck this. You know, Joe Biden is all rigged and all that shit. But it comes across as very kind of just, like, perfunctory to me, especially the Twitter account. And I think it's easy to ignore that because, like, there's a whole cottage industry of people who just, like, respond and live in the ecosystem of Trump's uh, fucking responses that have gotten famous. Like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers just responding to Trump with, dear God, sir, don't you have any dignity but when you look at the the stuff coming out of the trump twitter account when you look at the kind of you know rudy giuliani going to a fucking home depot garden center or whatever like you see a the republicans aren't sending their best people and b trump is kind of just like you know phoning it in phoning it in right just enough to keep his fucking supporters from saying that he's a loser and like you know he's going out like a cuck but clearly not enough to be you know really troubling in the sense that it makes me think he's going to stay in office troubling in the sense that he can do things that make it basically make the rest of our lives or the rest of the world or whatever fucking worse in the long term or short term like yeah but troubling in the sense that he is going to be the president after january 20th i not so much yeah i mean they've lost all but one legal challenge that they brought up and this one where they're seizing the Dominion voting machines, like I was talking about, that's just an injunction to prevent them from being wiped for any type of discovery. It's not necessarily them winning the case yet. They still haven't proved any type of fraud. They haven't proved anything that they've been allegating, in, uh, especially in the press. Like you said, when Rudy Giuliani gets in front of the television cameras and starts screaming about nonsense. Or melting. So, or melting, right. So it's, it's really the worst example of what a coup is but at the same time it's also it's enough for the base right you have 70 million people who voted for him and i bet you if you polled them they would reach at least 66 percent who believe that trump won i mean 66 percent of democrats still think russia hacked actual voting tallies so you know it's it's the same kind of thing i, I think that what we have is we just have a permanent war of the bases and the only way to keep them fired up is to just feed them this nonsense and this is the republican version of russiagate and much like everything with the republicans versus the democrats theirs is just more racist and more amped up and a little just a little bit crazier than the last I could see that. The interesting thing about Russiagate versus this, though, is that while Trump is like feeding the flames of the coup talk and the coup conspiracies, the Republican Party, like at the highest levels besides Trump, have mostly distanced themselves away from it. And Fox News is also starting to distance themselves from like the Trump coup conspiracy talk. I think the National Review came out with some like bullshit editorial saying that Trump had gone too far by, you know, like subverting the will of the people or some nonsense. Yeah. And, and see, this is where I think we were wrong. Like at the beginning, we were talking about how it would just be death by a thousand legal cuts and we would see you know the brooks brothers revel uh, brooks brothers riot again and we would see like coordinated efforts and instead what we've seen is we've seen slapstick we've seen bullshit and it, it's quite clear that they just weren't ever as competent even as we thought like the republicans at any level are just completely and totally incompetent much like the democrats at every level are completely and totally incompetent well i mean it's not the republicans that are failing it's trump that's failing part of it one of the th reports that i heard during the election was that essentially a lot of the republicans that were stationed around the country to mount legal challenges challenge signatures do those types of things more or less just abandoned kind of the trump train at that moment and perform their duties more or less as they would typically do it during any other election rather than as hyper-partisans uh, acting in favor of Trump. And that had a kind of a large uh, effect and why part of what led to the slapstick 
kind of put together uh, legal challenges that he put up afterwards with the Giuliani and others. So that's interesting. So what they basically did was they had a plan and then at the last minute they just abandoned it. Is that what the story was basically getting at, Richard? I mean, a plan would probably be a bit uh, a bit much, but essentially that uh, Trump was assured that, you know, that he would have these people at the, in these places to mount these kind of challenges. And usually they are done in a rather partisan way where uh, the they'll challenge a bunch of signatures from uh, counties or areas that favor their opponents and so on and so forth. And it's usually, it's typically done either in very close races and on, on a very tiny level or uh, at a state level organized by a state party in such a way that they do. It's typically Republicans, but there have been cases of Democrats as well. And essentially those people just didn't really go out of their way to, to help Trump in any significant way. And so like a lot of the, like, Part of the reasons uh, why some of the challenge, legal challenges were for, for ballots that were already segregated or that were uh, attempted to be being thrown out or not counted was as a result of, and why they were thrown out was because they didn't challenge them when they were being sorted and the envelopes were being opened and so on and so forth. And that is like, part of that was Trump just not understanding how it went, how it worked. So he didn't ask the people that he had in place to do the things that they needed to do. And part of that was them obviously not informing him of how the system worked so that they could do those types of things. It's, it's a lot of ex uh, extrapolation from a, a minor report that I caught. It was just essentially that uh, many of the teams that were stationed at the uh, locals, local places weren't uh, challenging at the rates that people were expecting. That all sounds very interesting. I want to make a correction. John says that we were wrong. I did not think that Trump was going to be successful. And this, and I don't know if, if this was left on the cutting room floor, but my reasoning, as unscientific as it may sound, was that no one really seems to like him, right? At least nobody who you would need to successfully control America. Unless, you know, to quote myself, you believe in the kind of Red Dawn understanding of taking over america which would be that you have to occupy every city in every state of this hellhole country with a you know standing army which could have been the police i guess in order to accomplish that which is just not really feasible right the people who you need to take over a coup are the people who are like richard were saying are generally just in place to do that sort of thing as we've talked about before the republicans you know election tampering machine exists in perpetuity it seems uh, but they just don't like them. And there's just no real benefit to helping Trump that they can see. And so they're jumping ship. But I mean, going back to what I was saying about a lot of the media places jumping ship, which is why he's been, you know, promoting own for the past few. Uh, no, I'm sorry. You can't say own because own is the Oprah one, I guess. So um, O-A-N-N is what it is. I, I doesn't make a difference. You know, why he's been promoting that sort of alt Fox News channel because, like, they've abandoned him. But it's worth remembering that, like, in the beginning, Fox News wasn't really behind fucking Trump. In the beginning, Fox News and Trump went had a little minor war after Megyn Kelly when he said that she only didn't like him because it was that time of the month or some shit. And then the base rebelled and Fox News got in line. Right. And that was basically it. So going back to an, uh, Fox News, going back to a sort of an anti-Trump stance is not really that surprising because they've always been sort of semi concerned about like the legitimacy of their like racist project. And so, like, you know, Trump now going across this invisible line is just a step too far for people who, you know, now see him as more of a liability than he was before. So there's no point to, like, helping him or hiding behind him. Yeah, I mean, he was a useful vehicle for getting the exact type of legislation that they wanted done. Um, I think one of the things that they definitely wanted that he didn't do and is looking to do now is war with Iran. 
So I think, you know, Shadow Nadelson is getting his wish as Trump is leaving um, almost accidentally. But I don't know, you know, war with Iran has been on the table for a long time now. And also a lot of people who, you know, have been selling war with Iran, like John Bolton, are now fucking liberal heroes. So who knows, right? Like, who knows how meaningful that is going to be in the long term? Yeah, I think uh, Trump's going to continue to be uh, a useful tool for pushing legislation even after uh, whatever happens January 20th because he'll still stand as a figure and the the impacts of his policies and his decisions while he was in office will be used as uh, basically a cudgel to beat back any sort of progressive reforms or uh, anything better than that and then also to hammer home the necessity of austerity uh, there is the whatever Matty Iglesias tweet or whatever that was talking about uh, you know, near tan is perfect for balancing basically progressive reforms with austerity. And it's just like, oh, okay. So we're just accepting austerity now. Like, and I think, uh, well, I think we're going to talk more about near tan in general, but uh, it really comes out of third way politics and centrism. And it's like, there's a philosophical political underpinning to this beyond just the particular actions I think we'll probably highlight momentarily. Yeah. I mean, like the, the Matty Iglesias thing and the signals that everyone's doing for all of the Biden cabinet picks are, are like, oh, these people are serious. These people are the ones who are the adults in the room. And that's what we're getting back to now with this administration. But, you know, the majority of them, including like Janet Yellen, have all advocated for Social Security cuts. So what we're getting back to is the, the bipartisan project of reducing worker power, reducing the actual compensation uh, for people in this country, reducing the the actual quality of life for so many people based on ideological reasons, like you mentioned, Richard. Well, I would just add quickly, just uh, as one, like, I personally can still see a scenario where something goes wrong, but what I would describe it, it's not the kind of planning and organized and thoughtful kind of uh, coup attempt as, like, I think a lot of people would were kind of picturing, or necessarily just kind of the tantrum based based on Trump himself. But more or less that uh, during the time between the election and uh, inauguration that he would be able to amp up the same people that overwhelmed the Republican primary that was not favoring him in any sort of way and had all sorts of trickery with trying to appeal to certain electors and all that kind of stuff to try and navigate around him and essentially overwhelm the Republican Party and the and the uh, the right in that way and so that essentially that they were pot committed that if they didn't commit to trump's coup then there wasn't going to be a republican party afterwards and it's still sort of like i i put it in the single digit percentage chances of anything wild happening but it's i i would still say that there's still a chance that trump uh stumbles on some sort of evidence or manufactures some sort of evidence that's uh close enough to to to, I don't know the word I'm looking for, I guess, just to enrapture enough of his supporters that they do something wild and there's some sort of massive thing at the inauguration. But the high, the probability of that happening is extremely low and increasingly lower every day that passes because they've cycled through basically any of the obvious things and nothing has really shown in their favor. And so there's unlikely anything that comes up. But I mean, the only thing... The, I, I, would, I would just say that it would just be a massive movement of people doing things and then also the counter-protests and then police siding with the Trump protesters instead of the anti-Trump protesters would be the scenario of how it worked out, not so much as a orchestrated kind of planned coup thing, which I think is what you would need to do in order to actually effectuate it in any sort of uh, real way. Go ahead. I've been an election integrity guy in terms of the electronics for a very long time. And so that's why the Dominion thing 
is kind of could be that one percent that little bit of information you're looking for if they get at the source the u.s is unique in not having paper ballots right and, and if they get to the point where they actually look at the source code and you find like oh hey these votes are being stored as floats rather than integers why the fuck is that you know these questions have been around for a long period of time and if you finally have someone who's not invested in the legitimacy of the american project like trump isn't and more invested in themselves he could actually blow that wide open and, and that's the potential to your point, Richard, the most real danger of a Trump refusing to lose was, you know, it would just incite his base to the point that they might start taking action in the street, you know, violent demonstrations. Unfortunately, he's been entirely cucked by mathematics to the point where, you know, it's unlikely that he could mount a legitimate argument to muddy the waters that he'd won. Yeah, it's not a single state. If it was a single state, he'd be in much better shape. Continue. Right, exactly. So I think where I was coming from from the coup talk and why I was like, this is kind of just like middle class values disguised as like an understanding of the way the law works is because every scenario where Trump would have been capable of, you know, uh, pulling off a coup or like staying in power after January 21st would have required the complete capitulation of the center the complete capitulation of the democrats the complete capitulation of like the reasonable republicans that people claim to exist the complete capitulation of all of our centrist institutions that people believe have some kind of value uh which you know granted could possibly happen in at some point in time however the scenarios that people were playing out in their head for how trump would have like he is going to mastermind some sort of bureaucratic legal spider's web of challenges that ends with enough votes being overturned to the degree that it gives him a legitimate claim to the presidency after january 21st but i mean that did happen in 2000 exactly but see that was what i was gonna say in my mind that would still just be an utter and complete capitulation of like the Democrats and to, to allow which they did exactly. Was not they wouldn't happen. It's just to say that it was all this was all being fucking portrayed as like he might just have an airtight case. And I was just like, no, the big danger that Democrats will just fucking let him say he won and give up. Yes. Yeah, and we said that from the beginning as a group. And yeah, any of the little, like, pieces, any of the details that would have led up to that point, you know, other than, like, literally him winning, of course, right, <laughs> uh, which could have happened with their fucking skills. Like, any of the details that led up to that point, to me, were, uh, were not that important because the bigger issue was that the Democratic Party is known for just rolling the fuck over. And I felt that the narratives about the coup that were coming out were always trying to de-center, like, that part of it yeah yes, like yes, the conversation yes. for any coup to work but for like the red dawn they're gonna occupy the streets kind of coup it would rely on the democrats just rolling the fuck over the people who the centrists consider to be on the resistance side would all have to have just rolled over which they might have because they have a history of doing it but like if that was the real danger we should have been talking about that i think which is that we have leaders and people in positions who are responsible for safeguarding our democracy or country or whatever and if he if trump managed to cobble together a 
decent enough argument with his like Swiss cheese brain, they would have just shrugged their shoulders and gone like, oh, you know, okay. I mean, we all like to have fun here, but like Trump shouldn't have been allowed to be president. In the well, first but that's place. the thing. No, yeah, yes. I mean, like, but here's the thing: we've been saying that on the show. I just haven't heard that articulated anywhere else. You know, like we, I, I've been pointing out to people, like in 2002, the governor of Alabama was a Democrat. He won the election, and Democrats in one county, like election observers in one county, went home, and the Republicans in that county mysteriously discovered 6,000 new votes that were all Republican. They were requested to do an audit. They said no. A judge in Alabama threw the case out and said, no, 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 the governor is now this Republican. And then Karl Rove personally got the attorney general to prosecute the Democrat who won and put him in fucking jail. Like that happened. And the Democrats didn't even make a big deal out of it. They're just like, OK. And then we had 2000 and they rolled the fuck over. You know, like all they, they've been rolling over on the, the existence of the Electoral College and the way that gerrymandering has worked for 20 fucking years, like if not longer. Like, they have an extreme history of rolling over. So why hasn't that ever been talked about in the mainstream? And that get- well, and the other part of that is the incompetence. Oh, yeah. In that, like, New York is still counting votes. Like, they haven't certified their election yet. It, right. Like- and, and meanwhile, these are the same people that, you know, watched Bolivia happen and the OAS say, like, oh, no, this election's completely fraudulent. And all the liberals jumped on board and said, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, this election must be suspect. Well, and, and Trump's uh, team has recently picked up on that argument and said, you know, it's really strange. These large, uh, you know, drops of ballots were all very heavily favored towards Joe Biden and, you know, and essentially making uh, almost the same legal argument that was made by OAS for uh, in the Bolivian election with like there were s- s- certain times and reports where the and for basically the same reasons uh, where the votes were expected to heavily favor the per- person that they did. And so it's just like, as you mentioned, is uh, the complete complete capitulation and incompetence left the window open for Trump to do the, to have the opportunity had he had any even the basic competence at doing these types of things or even just had enough of a people around him that were competent and and ambitious enough to go for it this was why i was like no one likes him at least in positions that matter because like a part of this is just people with just people trying to erase institutions right the institutions of the democrats the institutions of like that would normally be responsible for safeguarding our democracy and how they would just have to make the decision to fucking roll over just the other part of it was like making trump seem like a singular actor who could stage a coup by himself and would therefore not really need anybody else to like be successful at it like no one else would need need to implicate themselves in Trump taking over America, you know, because people, largely speaking, have been allowed to not implicate themselves too heavily in, you know, benefiting from Trump being president. So, like, people were allowed to, like, more or less float an idea around Trump, do a coup that was like, oh, yeah, maybe Russia will help. That was one actor. But, like, otherwise, it was like, Trump will just, you know, do some election shit and then we'll be president some more. <laughs> No, what I was going to say is like you were talking about the incompetence and the failure at the institutional level, the lack of accountability at any level. And I think that brings us right to the Biden transition team. I mean, most of these people that they're talking about have failed in similar roles in the past or have advocated for things that are absolutely massively unpopular and massively detrimental to the health of society. And yet here they are again. I mean, like, think about the fact that Neera Tannen is being recommended just because she's a Clinton hanger on and has failed at everything that she's done. If you look at it from a 
perspective of doing good. If you look at it from a perspective of taking money from Saudi uh, slaves, uh, from Gulf states, slave states and corporations, she's wildly successful. And that's what they need. Well, well, it's just like, Emanuel, why are they? Yeah, exactly. Rahm Emanuel. Why are, why are they trying so hard to make that work? Like, like Rahm Emanuel is not even popular. Rahm Emanuel got chased out of Chicago for that all that police shit with their black sites in the release of that. Laquan McDonald's. Yeah, their failure to release Laquan McDonald's uh, tape. And, you know, then he got booed off stage at the Atlantic. Right. He was trying to become like a contributing columnist there. People were, weren't even having it at that war criminal journal. And now he's being put in charge of transportation when he failed at a massive transportation um, project in Chicago and ended up costing like four hundred and fifty billion dollars. Well, yeah, but I mean, for me, like that, none of that is surprising because we know what the Democrats game is like. They're not so much a political party as they are a Ponzi scheme or consultantocracy. It's been diagnosed many times by many different people in various outlets, you know, ranging in prominence. Right. But the actual steps towards solving that problem never seem to be fucking taken and, you know, it just leads to this incestual, incestuous culture of people who are capable of losing to Trump, right? People who are incapable of actively resisting a Trump presidency and then also people who basically need a quarter of a million people to die of a pandemic to make their party viable again without having to offer any real thing. And now their future pro uh, proposals and future picks for positions of power are all going to lead to another Trump because they're they're doubling down on the exact same uh, phenomena that led to Trump in the first place. Yeah, I mean, Trump 100 win, 100% wins 2024. Like, if he's, like, if his mind's salient enough, he, he'll blow blow apart whatever happens after the Democratic Party because either you get Joe Biden hanging on for dear life four years from now or you get the new class, which, uh, who, who's going to lead that? Well, they're going to try and make it Kamala. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't think Trump is going to hold out for 2024. I don't think he's going to be interested. I don't think he's going to be alive. I don't think he's going to be, you know, capable cognitively of doing it. Uh, go back and erase this, depending on which one happens in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just make a quick note there for myself. Uh, I think that, Trump, in my mind, like I said, sore loser, definitely, you know, antagonizing Iran and, like, you know, ruin, like, you know, basically destroying the hotel room on his way out. Things that, you know, suck but were predictable and, you know, based on his terrible personality. However, I think a lot of the continued coup talk, a lot of, like, the fucking Trump as the center of this conspiracy that's going to end with him being president for four years is, you know, and this goes back to what Trump's relationship with Biden is going to be in the future and just, I guess, his relationship in our political system in the future. They need Trump. Like, they need Trump because Trump was a very useful foil for a lot of people. He was very useful at making a lot of people very rich and they have no real interest in giving that up completely also you know they need we need to go back to work who knows what the election would have looked like if there were no coronavirus pandemic but trump is not going to even do the bare minimum get, get back to work you know he's not really as effective an actor as he used to be let's get joe biden in there we can just like use him as a sock puppet it's like all this free money from the fed is nice but eventually we're gonna actually have to have an economy right <laughs> trump being out there still without the political power but still being a voice and theoretically being able to like you know 
control a decent portion of the Republican voting base allows them to continue to use him to enrich themselves and continue to, you know, use him as a political rationale for why we can't have nice things. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, the question of why we have to kowtow to like the lowest common denominator of our society never really gets asked because ultimately it's just the excuse for the rich people to get what they want. I think that Trump is going to be a fixture of our political landscape for a long time. I say that, too, because like even when you look at these uh, fucking pics of Joe Biden, like if this kind of like lazy definition of like experience and expertise is something that I was talking about in 2016 when they were saying Hillary Clinton is the fuck most experienced candidate. And I would just joke and I would say, like, yeah, but, you know, that's like saying that we should make the town arsonist the fire chief because he's been at the most fires. But they've started doing that now. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just decided that, like, that's actually, like, a good idea. And the reason is because, like, Trump arguably put people, you know, who just had literally no even recognizably recognizable though shallow it may be claim to expertise as you know identifiable by the lib world of like and so now that allows biden to roll in with like a bunch of like heads of black rock and fucking like military industrial complex lobbyists and, and go like see i got the best in the field to be part of my cabinet it's like rick perry was the secretary of energy and like he didn't even make any real headlines that much it was like this is the guy who, ben carson at hud right it was like i mean rick perry forgot that he wanted to abolish the place didn't know know what they did when he took took control over it and somehow managed to be one of the least offensive uh members of his cabinet it's just mirac it, it's it, like you said trump set the bar so low that Everything from now on is always going to be measured against, is it better than Trump? That's it. That's that's the bar now. And so, like, if if a Democrat in any position, uh, any cabinet pick, uh, position is better than Trump by any metric, then that's supposed to be acceptable and, if not, commendable. I mean, it really kind of just, like, reifies the technocracy even further, right? Because it's CV politics. It's like, okay, well, you know, we're putting in charge of the, you know, energy or climate change, the person who on their resume was like, wow, they, you know, they spent 10 years as uh, head of all these oil <laughs> oil yep. companies. And, you know, they've been, and since then they've been working in, uh, a, like, an oil think tank and all, all this shit. And it's just like, okay, but, like, what was going on? Like, what did they do there? And it's like, well, that question is a little too personal. I mean, like, hell, he wants to bring on the people who fucking did Quibi. And I just heard about that shit, and it's already gone. Yeah. (laughs) And and not just that she did Quibi. I mean, she also took, what, Hewlett Packard down from a, a top, like, a top 100 company in the United States to nothing? I was like, I headed an initiative for women engineers that work for Northrop Grumman. But that initiative failed, too, though. It's like, so that's the thing. It's like, not only are they all, like, not only has Democratic Party been getting, like, eviler but also like dumber which you don't want to see and it's i mean partially it's because like they've conditioned their base to accept anything and sort of like preemptively come up with excuses for how it makes them seem more more mature and trump like represented the perfect foil with that and now we see them like yelling at the new york times about like looking into biden's like looking into biden's advisors it's like they don't even want to know i mean a significant portion of the biden voters i think feel like they have lived up to their end of the bargain of getting trump out of office and now they get to go back to sleep and so if you start telling them bad things about biden you're violating you know the implicit agreement that we all upheld but i didn't agree to no such shit so you know 
Well, and part of it is is that it's it's not bad. Yeah, it's like it, this is their ideology. It's a, it's an ideology ideological position that they take and they maintain and they defend and they protect. Go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say it's not necessarily Biden voters. It's liberals in general. I mean, you have prominent people who are saying now is not the time to criticize Biden, and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He just won the election. Now is the time, and especially this whole idea of like, oh, we're going to push Biden left. Like, motherfucker, you're not pushing him anywhere. Look at who he's putting in charge of things. I mean, he's got Deese coming in in charge of environmentalism. He's got near attendant who's going to be in charge of the OMB. This is someone who's pushed austerity her entire career while she's been taking blood money from Gulf states. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is not anywhere near left. This is, in some instances, it's further right than some of the people who are in Trump's cabinet. It's using some very, very slightly socially progressive policies to mask what are effectively neo-hawk and right-wing capitalist policies. Go ahead. I mean, when it can even manage to do that, a lot of democratic strategy for masking their terrible policies is just like having an ethnically diverse cabinet, like an Mm -hmm. ethnically and gender diverse cabinet. And like they rely on people, you know, being taught very, very incomplete very shallow definitions of racism and sexism and homophobia and etc you know to look at this diverse group of faces and say okay well this is a diverse group of people who therefore must have diverse experiences and ideas and no they i watched don't. that happen like six times with nearer today where someone was saying someone who is a prominent journalist at a major outlet whether it's washington post new york times i can't remember which one was saying that near 10 was pushing back on the pushback they were getting about saying that near 10 was progressive saying well no look at the platform she's pushing and it's like i'm literally watching video of her not only not even eight years ago saying we have to cut social security and this person saying she's going to protect entitlements and it's like are you out of your fucking mind going back to the idea of like trump lowering the bar a big reason near attendant was even fucking trending and i still don't know who this is and that is not a I won't, fucking I won't. justification for telling me <laughs> i will say the big reason it was trending was because bill crystal the bill crystal and megan mccain were arguing over whether or not she was too far left to be joe biden's com- comms head with bill crystal saying well no she's perfect and megan mccain of course being on the wrong side of the issue saying she's too far left right at a certain point you have to look at the fact that you have two far right psychos arguing over whether or not like the head of the democratic party's comms is far right enough for them and realize that the party has been successfully taken over because that shouldn't even be on their mind right their concern should be taken as a uh, sign of progress like oh yeah good you know like they're concerned about this person they should be there are opponents right the democrats have taken that kind of i don't know relationship they have with republicans and they take it as fucking like a boon of pride that republicans stamp all their shit well the big thing about trump is that now with biden's biden's cabinet picks like the democrats look at signs of obvious corruptions as like actually just like boxes ticked that prove that they have experience in the field however i think we are rapidly coming to a point where it's going to be more difficult to play this kind of game where like politics exists entirely in the symbolic space with like the number of you know blacks and or women you have in your cabinet as we get to the point where like coronavirus deaths and cases start to really skyrocket because i think we're you know we're still in this weird interstitial space where people are expecting the vaccine to come out like in a week and a half or two weeks or three weeks and so like yeah you know it might be a quote-unquote hard winter which people have like i think are taking a little bit like too lightly but like it we're going to get better after that i think once things don't improve and things get as bad as they're going to get people are going to you know some people are going to wake up a little bit faster than 
we were expecting. Well, that's what I was trying to say, you know, last week was that, you know, this much like Occupy was a, an eye opener for a lot of people who just the the depravity of American life had not touched their lives yet until the 2008 crisis and Occupy opened their li- eyes to how it was. Um, I think this is going to have a similar effect on a lot of people. Yeah, I think we kind of alluded to it a bit in the last uh, episode, the, like Ferraris and the food lines with like the idea, and I've heard this uh, increasingly now, that people that were working six-figure salary jobs are now in food lines and not sure how they're going to make rent and not sure if the mortgage protection is going to work for them and or whether they're going to have uh, any place to stay in the next coming months as uh, the protections fall away and Congress continues to not act. I also want to just touch a bit on kind of where this kind of comes, like what happened was in 2016, Hillary Clinton noticed uh, Bernie Sanders and the progressive and that labeling was gaining a lot of traction. And what was a pivot to the center deliberately in the third way democratic uh, party and the new Democrats and is part of the new Democrat DLC. One of the more popular, yeah, one of the more popular people, you know, is Adam Schiff. He's was in on the news constantly through RussiaGate, and is like these were people that very had a very specific idea about what they were going to do, and it was to seek the votes of the white working class Reagan voters, and to do that by giving them essentially the economic policy that they wanted with very tame social reforms like "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Uh, the Defensive Marriage Act that was supposed to, you know, like the way Hillary Clinton sold it later was essentially it was to prevent something worse from coming from Republicans. And it's like the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act and the Omnibus Crime Bill of whatever of 94 from Clinton is like these. Uh, the policies that they're talking about was a direct and intentional shift towards the center. And Hillary Clinton just relabeled all that stuff progressive just called herself a progressive and now the idea that near tandon is progressive is no is that's that that idea had been essentially washed away throughout the 80s and early 90s that it was what they were doing was progressive that that wasn't the intention at all and so essentially they just co-opted the label and slapped it on there and so the idea that she's too far left is just is just obscene because like the whole point was to appeal to the reagan democrats and if so if somebody whose whole political identity is built around appealing to Reagan, uh, Republicans, Reagan, Democrats, whatever, uh, is too far left, then we're, we're hosts. Well, I mean, the P, the cap, the thing that Neurotana was running uh, was actually a project that was sprung out of the DLC, which got most of its funding from, you know, from Clinton and Gore, where they took a whole bunch of Koch brothers staffers and money to start a project within the Democratic Party to oust the traditional labor uh, movement from the Democratic Party and replace it with urban professionals or suburban professionals. And that's exactly what they did, and they're still doing it. So all those things, as you mentioned, that's been going on for a very long period of time, and it's been a concerted effort. And now the same people that are pushing that are changing the labels and changing the the actual message around their ideology and pretending like the things that they've advocated for and the things that they've been pushing and the project that they've seen the ultimate coming, uh, the ultimate accumulation in the, the election of Joe Biden is not what they were doing. And it's just like, okay, well, how come nobody is out there saying, this is what you said 10 years ago, this is what's happening now, what's going on? 
Well, because those lessons have all been forgotten, right? Which is kind of what I wanted to get to. Because, like, and, and it just actually sort of loops into the conversation about experience and kind of how we have this very non-specific or vague understanding of what experience or what makes someone experience for office or public office or whatever you want to call it. A lot of what Richard is talking about, the whole third-way pivot, the pivot to neoliberal politics, were all was all done ostensibly because the Democrats were going to lose, you know, basically lose everything if they didn't start repealing to this new, like, insurgent Republican Reagan silent majority or whatever right and they blame the mcgovern dukakis kind of uh, their politics for their losses essentially exactly and you know what that pivot you know that pivot to like appealing to you know being republican light and appealing to like the suburban moms did they lost you know they lost they lost for 30 years obama oversat record losses in the house and senate and all across the country and it led to trump and the reason why we can't remember any of that stuff, because if you remember any of that stuff that led to theoretically this situation, you might ask, why are these people allowed to be in power at all? Yeah, right. Why is Robbie Mook running the campaign for the House? Yeah, no, but we can't never linger long enough because helping people along to forget, you know, we exist in a system that catapults us from emergency to emergency. And we're always being told that we have to think about the next election. This, this, the most proximate election is the most important one that's going to decide everything. Because, you know, ultimately, if some people realize that the most important election might have been 2008 or 2000 or 1992 or something that already passed, they might try to learn about what's happened since then or what happened then that led to such a big pivot point and hold the people who lost that election accountable. But we're only ever moving forward, and it helps to absolve people basically uh, as we move along, right? I think where it's changed even more now is now the Democratic Party is not only concerned with absolving, or rather it's more obvious that the Democratic Party is not just concerned with absolving its own people and putting forth its own political project, even if it's sort of like neoliberal. We've learned that they're more or less interested in absolving all the bad actors who have who exist in this sort of like large bucket of centrist promoting politics. So like they're going to absolve people like Bush. They're going to reintegrate people like Bush because there is never a time or point for accountability. But that also helps them, too, because it allows them to put people in power, you know, perpetually who have failed. They're like perpetually failing. And I mean, Bill of, Crystal is a little bit more charismatic. He'd already have a show right. on MSNBC. Yeah. Continue. No, legit. I mean, uh, who who is I saw something today uh, from some tweeting about someone being a progressive. And I was like, the woman that you're tweeting about, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head, was literally part of the Office of Information under the Bush administration who was lying about the Iraq war and now has a show on MSNBC. Liberals are like parrots, though. Like liberals, when you teach them a word, they're just going to say it like an ad nauseum, like the moment they think it's cool. Right. So, you know, I blame AOC, like unlike most people, I don't blame her for everything, but I blame her for this. The moment she started calling herself a progressive instead of a socialist, they just started lapping that shit up. Their eyes glazed over and, you know, with that MSNBC viewer look and they just started calling themselves that. And, but, you know, by now, like anytime I see a tweet that starts with I'm a progressive, I know I'm about to see some shit. I know I'm about to see like I'm a progressive, you know, and I know other progressives are going to hate that the CIA was in charge of the, <laughs> you know, torture regime, right. <laughs> torture regime under Bush or some shit. But, you know, I think that's just them being harsh. And, you know, like also pretending to be progressive allows the people who want to, you know, signal some kind of like learn that they've learned something 
from 2016 that they learned something from the failure of Democratic Party that Trump the first time signal they've changed. You know, you could do something, you could do make a meaningful change or you could just change your hair color or hairstyle. And like that's what the Democratic Party has been doing for a while. They've been changing their hairstyle and demanding that everyone pretend they're a whole new person. And we're rapidly reaching the point where like we're about to have a million cases a day probably post Thanksgiving of COVID-19 and I don't know how long we can pretend that the Democratic Party is doing their best uh in that scenario yeah on COVID we're definitely going to see a large spike following Thanksgiving and, and it'll seem even larger compared to the days prior to it because there's uh we noticed around other holidays that there was essentially the reporting fell off for a few days after the holidays. And yeah, then people are traveling. Yeah. Make, yeah, and so they have to make up for the, and, you know, just not not as many people able to work. But also, healthcare workers have been working unbelievable shifts. And I just recently, there was just recently a strike uh, uh, for some of the healthcare centers in, in my area uh, for, because the of working long hours and still months into this pandemic not having adequate PPE gear. It's just like absurd. I got a text message today from the state of Rhode Island that said all hospital beds are filled. I read a headline yesterday that like took my breath away because it's not a fake. And it was just like one in every thousand people in South Dakota are dead of COVID-19. I was like, holy shit. And I was just like, what? Yeah, Sturgis. And and like the same is true for Illinois. And it's like we have, I think, a society, and this goes back to, again, with, like, the kind of forgetfulness that's been baked into, like, our capitalist media class that, like, is just incapable of keeping that in their head for longer than a few days. And, like, even if they and even if they could, you know, who do they blame, right? Like, who do they blame for one in every thousand people being dead in South Dakota? It's the government's fucking fault for sure, right? You know, it's, you know, and the problem basically started decades ago. But, you know, if you've been if you're being told that the next election is the most important one, that kind of colors how you fucking analyze the situation. I don't think Trump is going to run in 2024. I think that that is something that's being floated to keep libs in check so they don't demand that someone, you know, do something about COVID-19 because they can go, OK, well, you can't criticize Biden because Biden because Trump will be back in 2024. We don't want that. Right. So he's going to be the specter haunting us forever. Mm -hmm. Right. But taking all that responsibility on telling people that this was the most important election of their lives and having that be tethered to something more material and feelable than like than how liberals feel about the world or how they feel about on their like train ride into work every morning is I think a double-edged sword, right? Like like Joe Biden winning and having a lukewarm neoliberal presidency full of corruption uh, that is all being justified by a handful of flat of lackeys as like, it's still better than Trump. It's still better than Trump. As like a million people a day get COVID-19 is not going, is just going to guarantee that the next Republican president is much worse. And, and I mean, then here's the other one, Joe Biden presidency filled with all that corruption, filled with all that shit and not a million people dying of COVID every day, but the vaccine being distributed unequally and jobs not actually bouncing back because corporations have realized that they can get by with less and make larger profits in the short term is also really detrimental to the Democrats. And I mean, you can say that the Republicans are going to do everything in their power to make sure that that scenario is actually enacted. But the Democrats aren't going to be based on the people that they're picking right now. The Democrats aren't going to do anything to actually increase economic prosperity along the lines that is absolutely necessary. They, Janet Yellen is not going to uh, put the, the money cannon towards the everyday people. Like, that's not what's going to happen. And they're going to suffer for that in terms of election results. 
I just wanted to note on the corruption part uh, is like there were some small gains made by Obama and the Democrats or, you know, the progressives in the Democratic Party or whatever during the early part of his administration about trying to make make it to where there wasn't a revolving door between D.C. or between the White House and the lobbyists and in limiting the money that was coming into the Democratic Party from various lobbyists and so on and so forth. And that was all demolished. <laughs> like That was all erased. That was all systematically destroyed, uh, mostly during Hillary Clinton's campaign. But uh, also they continued that demolition afterwards. And Near Tandon was part of that. <laughs> like So it's just, it's wild to me that like, uh, that we're, the corruption is so blatant and that we're just so accepting of it because of, like you said, the, the bar is set so low with Trump and is like, as long as it's less obnoxiously corrupt than Trump, then it's the best we can hope for. And the normal that they're talking about going back to is the normal before, before Obama, before the small, moderate progressive changes that he was able to accomplish happened to the Democratic Party. That's what they're going and 100%, back to. hundred percent. And the thing is, is that if you look at polling that's been done on a lot of these things where people are actually told, hey, this guy was a lobbyist or this person worked at BlackRock, universally among Democrats, one given that information, they hate these fucking people. So the idea that they're going to get away with four years of these cabinet picks not actually becoming an issue when the Republicans are saying that these people are just Ivy League elites right now. And then on top of that, an economic failure that's bound to happen when you try to do austerity post-COVID, you're looking at a disaster electorally. Well, I mean, that's the thing, too, because these people are not only like people like Neera Tan and like Rahm Emanuel. They're not only like hazardous to the left, which libs kind of like, oh, like, oh, yeah, like the progressives might hate this person, which makes me like them. But like they're also bad at the job that you would theoretically want them to do. Right. They're good at, you know, pretending like they're like progressive or whatever and funneling money to consultants and shit. But like if you want to solve problems or like have like success, you don't really or want win Joe electorally Biden and these people like these people are losers, too. Like they have the resume. Yeah. On paper, she was the head of HP. But like you said, you know, once you contextualize that you, during their worst period in their history. <laughs> but like that scene as rude in that world. I once you get to a certain level of, I think, fucking glad handing in the Democratic world, like expecting people to account for why they keep losing or why they keep failing is just seen as rude. Because like at least within that space, you know, it's understood that the real purpose of that job is to you know enrich the rich and you know make excuses just like we know why they don't fire pundits from the fucking outlets when they have consistent grammatical and factual errors because their job is not to inform people or know shit or be responsible stewards of information it's to like coddle the egos of people like the writer themselves like petite bourgeoisie like middle class pmc type whatever you want to fucking call them right generally comfortable now anxious about covid voted for joe biden not like me uh, <laughs> uh and so like those people, you know, they're the target for all this, you know, as patronizing as it is to say, has convinced their base, their liberals, even the people who I described who I don't seem to like, like the PMC class, to accept worse than they would otherwise have to. Like, they don't want near a tandem to be fucking, like, even if you just want, like, black faces in high places, a lot of the black faces they've chosen suck. Yeah, and, and bad in a designed way, like, essentially having totally uh, incorporated the hegemonic views of neoliberalism imperialism into their into their progressive worldview and so like it they bend 
what their progressive worldview whenever it needs to bend in order to meet or to basically bend the knee to the capitalist class and so you see that over and over and over and over again and like as you mentioned it's uh a the audience that it's designed for is not i i would say not just like this kind of uh, pmc class and the like six figure pundit class and all these types of things but also the people that uh, the kind of uh, what is it, the aspiring millionaires or whatever, you know, the people that see themselves as, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, one, I, as soon as this the right person sees my tweet, I'll I'll be the next political commentator. Or as soon as the you know the, like the people that see themselves as falling into that, if if uh, the cards fall just right, also eat that stuff up. And I think we all, to a degree, want to have our political views confirmed. And so there's a, to a degree I understand it, but at the same time. At some point, when you get like I, I would I don't understand how people got force fed the Russia thing for so long, and then just watched what happened with that and like election integrity and all those types of things, and just move on. Like, it, how do you take that? Like, either you didn't take it sincerely then, or like you're moving on as the people are pushing it weren't sincere. The people who internalized it are still talking about it. It's kind of like how you know we we're talking about Trump's base is no matter what going to still like a big portion of Trump's base is still going to believe even ten years from now that Trump actually won and was the president. You know that that's where they are with Russia Gate. It's the same thing. And I mean, and also as silly as it sounds, I mean, because it is incredibly dangerous, but a lot of like political discourse in this country is completely untethered from the material reality it reflects. And so it just exists in this very weird symbolic space. And that a lot of that is assisted by how rapidly we shift from one story to another. Sports. So Russiagate can be, yeah, you know, for the Russiagate, yeah, it's a thing that people said was actually happening. And then there was a core thing that was, you know, that is always happening, which is like global oligarchy and, you know, our shitty election system and you know just geopolitics in the digital age uh and then there's like the bigger story people made out of it and then there's like the role that story plays in people's lives like some people just needed russia gate to be a security blanket to massage their ego some people needed it to be a security blanket to ensure there was no accountability at their job you know <laughs> for saying that Hillary clinton mm -hmm. was going to win and so it's easy to toss away when you no longer need it because it was never really that real to begin with it was ultimately just a story. how real is anything you know in our media space and i don't mean to be an asshole but like do you remember a few years ago when that guy shot like a thousand people in las yep. vegas yeah and we still don't know why we just ex they just accepted the idea like the the last story i read was just basically it was a while ago but the last thing i remember reading about it was just that we were just accepting the idea that we had no idea that he never spoke to anybody giving anybody any clue why he would shoot a bunch of people <laughs> And some people said there was a possible arms deal going on. But I mean, like, not even that, not just that, but like, Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison right now. So, I mean, now. that goes back to what I was saying, too. Like, the fact that we, like, a lot of people, political discourse, the news, whatever exists at this, like, symbolic level, uh, and we just move on from shit without any kind of real conclusion. Some people don't move on. And that gives space, to, um, gives rise to a lot of conspiracies. At a certain point, like, if you would have to wonder, like, well, why aren't we more interested with why someone would kill a thousand people? The answer is because, like, no one wants to impact gun sales or, like, talk about gun control anymore. But, like, you know, if you don't accept that as the answer, then it, it does seem fishy. I mean, it is fishy. That's going to have the same kind of effect with this. There's going to be a lot of conspiracy theories revolving around Trump's election and election fraud. And I mean, obviously, he's feeding into a lot of them. But the refusal to concede, you know, siding moving on, like, 
it's funny that, like to think about how many of these like little narratives just arise and you know disappear especially when they seem so like important and people are like losing their minds and like people's mm-hmm. lives are back remember i shit, i mean i guess it came back but there was a time and it was funny that it came back when it did where like it seemed like the stutter thing that people were talking about from joe biden was just going to disappear and no one's gonna talk about it again it's going to disappear now now that he's president the stutter is yep. just going to fucking disappear except for like once a year on like national disability day or something the national stutterer day but like, they probably won't even do that they'll probably forget it by then and then if you bring it up they'll people will just look at you like what and like stuff like that is you know i think it can be a little bit disconcerting when like you get obsessed with these like really lowbrow narratives that were force-fed by the media or like crazy shit that happens like when sarah palin was on the fucking dancing with the stars and like people just go like yeah whatever you know uh i gotta go back to my uh job or some shit I don't know. Sarah Palin's Baby Got Back performance was uh, iconic. <laughs> I liked her, like, fucking TikTok video with her in, like, the woods behind her house, like, looking for Bigfoot. That was fun. I just will, you know, to close out, I will congratulate you, Richard, for starting to stay progressive with a hard P, like a slur. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been trying I mean, that yeah, for you, a while. You know, the way you say it, it just sounds like it hurts you to say it out loud. I mean, it is what it is. He's better at it than I am. I, I have not been successful at creating the slur mentality. Richard really, yeah. Richard really feels it, because words don't have meaning anymore. Like you know, that, but that goes back to like that goes back to like how people can just abandon Russiagate. Like wasn't there, wasn't that just like a big? Was isn't our democracy in shambles or some shit? I mean, I mean, it's not fully abandoned. Like well, yeah, our democracy is in shambles, but like it's always been in shambles. It's a subjectivist view of problems. You know, like they just heavily you know that's the danger of having a media culture so heavily controlled by moneyed interest like they can just basically choose to elevate topics as they want or disappear them as they want and that just becomes what the public is thinking about and if you do it enough it affects how long people are able to think about anything i guess i know i was just recently actually just like going back through random news stories from during the trump presidency just to think about what i had forgotten and one of the random ones that just stuck out to me was the you guys remember the fbi guy who did the backflip and then shot somebody i don't remember that i don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, remember that at all. yeah yeah like he did a backflip in the middle of a party and scrambled to pick up his gun shot some guy in the leg who had to like it was a serious wound had to go to the hospital it was hospitalized for it and didn't even go to jail like got probation <laughs> well that, that I checks think he out. lost his job which that is shit happens like, all the time what? though i remember when it's the fbi I remember when dick Come on. cheney shot somebody and he didn't do no time <laughs> i remember when, i remember when dick right. cheney shot some guy point blank in the face and then made him apologize to him on television that right from, for getting, for, for getting in, in the way of his bullets that shit like that shit was wild this country is wild no one remembers anything